Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of Jira, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. It's me, Clementine Ford, and you are listening to another episode of The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. If you're familiar with my work, you'll know I'm very passionate about pelvic floor health for people with vaginas, particularly if they've given birth and experienced any resulting weaknesses or even prolapse. I recently bought a product that I've been so impressed with that I reached out to the company to ask if we could partner to share this information with listeners of the hotline. It's called PeriFit, and I'm not kidding when I say it takes all of the guesswork out of doing your Kegels. This product literally turns your Kegels into a computer game. You insert the device into your vagina, connect it to your Bluetooth, and follow the directions through different levels and settings to contract and relax your pelvic floor at intervals. It has different settings for your needs, from postpartum to stress incontinence to simple maintenance. And yes, regular use of it can help prevent a prolapse. You can order PeriFit at perifit.co. It comes with a 100-day money-back guarantee, a five-year guarantee on its battery life, and quick and discreet delivery. Not that we should have to be discreet about something so essential to our health. I use the PeriFit anywhere from three to six days a week, and I've noticed a measurable difference in a matter of a few short weeks. And when I say measurable, I mean the program itself tracks and stores my stats so I can see the improvement in real time. Best of all, no more leaks. Try PeriFit at perifit.co and squeeze your way back to confidence. My guest this week is a newish friend, and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast with me. We share a lot of the same interests, musical theatre, the TV show Survivor, dressing up in increasingly elaborate fashions and posing for photo shoots in our living room, and singing. Like the Bellas before her, she is one part of a four-part all-gal a cappella group, Ginger and Tonic. She's a graduate of the Victorian College of the Arts, where she was the first recipient of the Ron and Marg Doble Scholarship, which took her to study in New York and London. She's using lockdown to study for her Master's in Arts Management, watching a lot of reality television, and creating daily looks with me for our Look Down series. Rebecca Moore, I am thrilled to have you on the Big Sister Hotline. Welcome. And I'm thrilled to be here, Clem. Thanks for having me. How the bloody hell are you? Do you know what? I'm pretty good today. It's uh, the Corona coaster is a real, real thing. Um, but actually, I feel pretty good. Usually, I start off pretty good in the morning, and it's like g- great. And then, and then we kind of crash around lunchtime, and then it's it's not so good in the afternoon. But I'm I'm feeling good today. Thank you. How are you? It's a little bit like being a toddler, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. It's like I'm tired, but of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. Um, yeah. Now, you are in a situation that actually quite a few people have written in over the last – I mean, this is this is episode 27. So I've been doing this pretty much since I think the first month or so was just before corona kind of really came in and kicked all of our butts. Um so it's a podcast that's kind of been documenting 
isolation and lockdown in lots of ways and like a lot of the questions reflect that and one of the questions that a lot of women ask is about cohabitation during isolation whether or not they should stay living with their partners or well I don't really say partners anymore but whether or not they should stay living with their boyfriends or whether or not they should move in with their boyfriends now you are someone who can offer some good advice on that because you did move in with your boyfriend at the start of this most recent lockdown Yes, I did. I um, I live usually with my brother and a housemate and I just felt like going into five weeks, maybe longer with them would have just been a nightmare and I'm studying and my boyfriend lives in Werribee and I live in Yarraville and it just felt like that would be a bit of a pain and so I have, I've moved in, but not officially. So I'm just staying here. I've, I put my cat in the car and took her with me and we're here just for lockdown. But it's been, it's been pretty nice, actually. He's, yeah, it's been good. What are some of the tips that you would recommend for people who are considering a corona move-in? I, I think probably as this would be the same tips for a regular move-in. Be able to have your own time apart. I mean, there are definitely days where I'm sitting on the couch in the evening with a glass of wine and half a wheel of cheese watching reality TV and Andy's like four metres away from me doing exercise. And <laughs> we, we are very different in the things that we like to do a lot of the time. And just being totally okay with that is really good. Going, I want to do this now, so off you go and you do your thing. Uh, yeah, just keeping those separate interests alive I think is good how funny is that my advice is stay away from your boyfriend (laughs) it's actually very sound advice and it's typical typical of the kind of advice that we do tend to offer on the big sister hotline um just men stay away from them yeah but actually funnily enough yeah funnily enough you and I met through Andy he is one of maybe five men I like in the world and (laughs) (laughs) um and we met I met Andy because he and I were on a um an immersive survivor weekend where a friend of ours a mutual friend of ours has been planning for the last few years uh, I think this was the third one that he's done immersive survivor weekends unofficial ones by the way not at all related to the show there is no insurance connected to this immersive <laughs> weekend. Um, but he, yeah. he invites, you know, people to apply for the show and then he separates them into tribes. And for 24, 36 hours, you really play this very immersive game of Survivor. Now, you and I are both massive fans of the TV show Survivor. If you are listening to the, to the hotline and you are not a huge fan of the TV show Survivor, this next couple of minutes might seem a little bit... Um, like bizarre to you, but you will at least be able to appreciate the mind-blowing kind of immersing yourself in in a game for the intensity of 36 hours and one that involves, you know, forming connections with each other, forming alliances, outwitting, outplaying and outlasting all of your teammates. Like it was – I did not expect it to be – you've played it before. I did not expect it to be that So actually how how it came about, Clem, I was at a girlfriend's barbecue and I didn't know anyone and I sat down next to this fellow and they were all talking about theatre and I was like – oh, you know, I can chat about that. But then I was just not kind of, I was not making friends at the dinner. I was just like in a bit of a weird mood. And then the guy next to me was like, oh, I don't know if anyone watches Survivor, but um, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, my God, I can definitely talk. That's like a clarion call when someone says that at a party. I'm like, (laughs) well. yeah let's go here we are we're friends now and so um we got chatting and he sort of said I I did this uh real life survivor weekend and I said I I would do that and he goes I just need the people and I'm like I'll find the people and we talked about it all evening and then you know went home and I thought oh that's all that will come of this but then sure enough he texted me the next day and he's like Beck can you get the people? And I, and I can, yeah, and I said, yes, I can get the people. If you build so it, I, they will come. Yeah, they will come. And so we, so I grabbed a bunch of my friends and there were a few extras um, that we sort of cobbled together for the first season. And it was so fun. And then we did it again and I played again and it was so fun. And then the third season, my best friend was due to have a baby that weekend, so I said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to play season three. And, of course, that was the one that you were on. So that's how you met Andy. Yeah, so Andy was on my tribe and Andy and I 
basically in the like right after the first challenge that we played. For the benefit of listeners, I won't go too much into Survivor <laughs> Geekhood, but uh, like it is strong within me. Um, but Angie and I formed an alliance right from the start. And what what was really amazing to me about that weekend was that for, I was really nervous to do it because I didn't know anyone except for Myron who organised it. And I'm not really great with new people because I'm quite – weirdly, people might not believe this about me, but I'm quite shy. Um, and – I was I, I had that anxiety right before the end where I was like, oh, I should just pull out. I'm not going to know anyone. And I cannot stress – I mean, I know you know, but I cannot stress enough yeah. to anyone listening. This was – when I finished, when I was eventually voted out, and I did go pretty far, I must say. You did great. When yeah. I was eventually voted out, I said in my, like, exit speech to the jury, this is one of the best weekends I've ever had in my entire life. Like, I think about it now and I want to cry how good that weekend was that <laughs> – it was just so amazing to be immersed in this kind of world for a start, but also to be completely liberated from everything that I worry about in my life and everything yeah. that, you know, kind of plagues me on a on an hourly basis, just to kind of be in the moment and forming actually I can see now, having had a thirty six hour tiny minute insight into it I can see how being on a reality tv show where you are kind of isolated from everyone else whether or not it's Survivor or The Amazing Race or The Bachelor even I can see how you would come out of that and be completely bonded to your castmates because you've shared this thing that no one else has an experience of Oh, absolutely. We we said when we finished the first, we couldn't talk about anything else. It was like we just talked about our weekend for probably two weeks, and because a lot of my other friends played as well, there was it was just like this echo chamber of talking about that weekend because it was so, yeah, it was amazing. And it's just I, I think it's unusual as an adult to get an opportunity to play like that. Yes. To be, yeah, to be like imaginative and sort of competitive, but in this sort of really strange way and really immersed in a game which is just my bag 100 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's yeah that's the other thing that um really hit me was how I guess one of the reasons it was so meaningful to me is because up until this year probably I didn't really take a lot of opportunities to play in my life you know mm. and I've been doing a lot more of it now particularly in lockdown as you know because you and I do one of those projects together but one of the reasons why it was so, uh, like, did have such a lasting impact, I think, on anyone who participates in it is that it's like you become an adult and then you're not allowed to to be joyful in this particular way, in this way that's silly or that you might think, you know, people will, will think you're weird or make fun of you yeah. if you're seen, like, running around the beach doing challenges or whatever it might be. But, so let's talk, about, let's talk about play and imagination yeah. and, and why it's so important and what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. I mean, I think it's been two weeks. We're going to do it for the all of lockdown in the Luke Down series. Let's talk about that. Yes. I, I was so glad that you suggested we do that because I've been feeling kind of down as many people had and, and you know, just wearing my tracksuit pants every day, which is fine. Um, and just, you know, I'm studying and I have some little projects, some big, bigger projects, but just I, I wasn't finding any joy in my days. I was, you know, reading a lot and just trying to educate myself on different things, but not sort of having fun. And, you know, we talk about um, Andy and, and one of the things that I love about him is that he is very playful and we do a lot of silly playful things together um which is great but just having a little project to do every day I just go well and I don't have much stuff you know as I said I'm uh I'm isolating here at Andy's house and I pretty much just grabbed my costume box when you said let's let's have this let's play this game and so I have practically nothing and I'm just making it up as I go along and it's it's so good isn't it yeah I mean it really teaches you to kind of be I think the first few I did I sort of just dressed in a sort of quote unquote kind of normal fashion you know like oh the theme is texture so I'll wear a nice jacket and I'll put on some makeup but I've noticed with both of us as the days have gone on and you have to be a little bit more imaginative and you also become a little bit more daring and a little bit bored with just like oh I'm just gonna like wear a nice outfit you kind of with both of us have been more um leaning more into that kind of play and imagination and yesterday's theme was hocus pocus and you did this incredible fucking cosplay of rowena ravenclaw with the diadem 
diadem. Yeah. I, everyone says it differently. And oh you know, you God. did we you did like this extra. great yeah, you did this great recycling piece with you know the Mecca recycling box and you did this fascinator hat. And this is one of the things that I mean, as you know, I've talked to you privately about just some of the frustrations I've had with the way some people respond to this. It's like you can either be serious or you can be a frivolous twit. You know, there's no yeah. for some people there's no space in between. And I don't think that, you know, maybe I've presented it incorrectly in the spaces that I'm doing it in to those people, but I don't think that, you know, it's for me. It's it's a form of sexism to look at the way that women play with dress ups and with imagination and with expression in that sense, and say, well, it's just automatically playing into the patriarchy because you're you look nice while you're doing it, or whatever it might be. It's honestly so absurd and limiting, and just it's just unfair. And I mean, I think because being a theatre kid, I have always been into dress ups and play playfulness. And, you know, I'm in this archipelago group and we make things out of nothing all the time and um, really support that in each other. So it's something that I'm surrounded with. And I've just, I talking to you and hearing about people coming back at you and having a go about makeup looks and things. I'm like, come on. It's like, you're allowed to have some fun in life. You're allowed to kind of be creative and, and silly and nothing, not everything has to be perfect and, Mm. you know serious mm. you should be able to have some fun yeah I mean I'm not uh, like I, I relate to the theater kid thing too I did drama all through school I was very you know my dad his preference for me when going into year 12 was for me to do chemistry physics maths one maths two and English and it's like dad do you even know me um <laughs> I mean my dad does know me pretty well but it, it, it is that kind of like serious things are these pursuits that have been traditionally associated with masculinity and non-serious things, the creative fields, the kind of imagination play is associated with women and children. So it must be stupid. Um, And, you know, you mentioned Andy before. That's one of the things that I really like about Andy is that he seems to be someone who is very comfortable in his masculinity and that in that embrace of play and not a lot of men – uh, you know, if it's difficult for some women to kind of be respected doing that, certainly it's very hard for a lot of men to oh, explore those parts of themselves. And, you know, he is, he is a daggy, daggy fun guy. And, you know, he's had similar things. I remember him telling me a story about he has this jumper that has a big penguin on it. You've probably seen it. Um, <laughs> he has like three items of clothing. I haven't, but I and- want to. <laughs> <laughs> and he he said he once dated a woman who just couldn't handle him wearing that jumper. She was like, "Why are you wearing that? I need you to not wear that." Mm. And and he sort of said, "I just felt like that was her issue, not mine." And I think yeah, so I think everyone can be sort of <laughs> subject to this idea that being playful or being having fun or being a bit silly is not serious or it makes people very uncomfortable mm. for you to be express yourself in that way Mm. which is funny because actually in you know in comedy or in and in rom-coms in particular that kind of trope of man is very is played off as being very attractive you know the sort of um uh what's the guy who's married to olivia wilde andy sudeikis oh yes yes total hottie but maybe that's just because you and yeah. I are attracted to playful men. I know. I think maybe we like dorks, Clem. <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that I really try hard with my son because he's four, he's just turned four, and he is – I don't know where he's getting it from because it's not like he's even in childcare at the moment, but he maybe it's the weird YouTube channels that he watches. Um, he is kind of developing this fear – fear is maybe the wrong word – he's developing this consciousness that – for him as a boy, it's uh, there are certain ways that he feels he's allowed to behave when he's in private with me, but that even oh. when his dad is coming over, and his dad, I'd like to stress, has never ever, he's not that kind of like hyper-masculine dude, you know, he's a very yeah. gentle kind of guy, they sing together, they play together, but he sort of seems to be expressing this fear that if he's seen behaving in any way less than perceptibly masculine in front of his dad, that it's going to cause a problem, and it's it's... It's honestly like mind blowing to see that mental process play out in him because it is not coming from either one of us, and no. I, I don't know where it where he would be getting it from. Except that 
I remember when I spoke to Jess Hill a few months ago, Jess Hill who wrote See What You Made Me Do, and we were talking about shame and shame being a factor of, uh, you know, a shame being an underlying factor of violence and the expression of violence. And she cited the work of um, – you've listened to the podcast Men, haven't you, the scene on radio – I've only listened to the, I listened to the first episode because it came straight after seeing White, but I um I haven't progressed with it, but I should. So they speak to a psychologist called Terry Real, who's done a lot of work in uh, you know childhood development and shame, and talking about the the really strict and negative enforcement of the gender binary, and how his his view is that we need to embrace all sides of ourselves. Um, and he said that for girls, shame is really instilled in us. This rang true to me. Shame is instilled in us from around the age of 11 and 12. That is when we perceive the shift in society in terms of how we're expected to behave. And it's generally when we go from being quite um, opinionated and loud and boisterous, if we are those things, to, to sort of trying to sh- shield ourselves. And we often in society just think of that being a problem for girls. But he said, actually, this shift also occurs for boys, but it happens much earlier. It happens when they're around three or four. And that's when they begin to be aware of the judgment and shame that will be instilled in them from their peers if they're being perceived to behave in ways that are not expected of boys or that are not acceptable for boys, which is heartbreaking. It's so sad. That's so sad. Uh, I mean, I come from my family. I have three brothers um, and we all did theatre growing up. We were very, you know, we would make Lego houses and then play Barbies in those Lego houses together. And we always dressed up. And uh, I mean, I just, it makes me sad that at that young age, so many boys are missing out on getting to do Mm. that sort of stuff. And yeah, that's that's really sad. It also reminds me of how, uh, you know, that kind of internalised sexism that some women in particular express. And I understand why, because it's so deeply conditioned, but that internalised sexism of pride that's felt when you say that you don't like quote-unquote girly things. You know, you're like, oh, when I was a kid I was a tomboy and I loved playing with trucks and cars and I hated dolls. Like, cool. Like, yeah. wow. You must be a really superior yeah. human being then, I guess. I know. It's. I just, I think, I mean, we, we talk about this as well. Like I think a lot of those women will eventually kind of realise they don't have to say that. Like they don't have to preface who they are with this idea that they're not the same as other women, other silly mm. women. Yeah, and I mean, look, like I said, I get where that comes from and and if that if that was your experience growing up, that's totally fine as well, like, It's it's awesome that you liked what you liked. But we do need to be aware of the pride that is attached to those declarations and why why it's kind of, as you said, you know, like why when you're kind of making a declaration of like, I'm not like other girls, you know, I'm not. I like trucks and like beer and um, sports (laughs) and stuff. I mean, I'm still totally hot, but like I love all that guy stuff and I just don't really get on with girls. Like this is – you know, I talked about this in the Nasty Woman podcast, Nasty Woman Club podcast last week, and I've talked about this before, is that patriarchy thrives and requires uh, to survive and to thrive. It requires women to be separated from each other and to women to, for women to declare themselves as against womanhood in order for patriarchy to succeed, whereas it needs men to declare brotherhood amongst each other and to declare devotion to each other above everything, above women, you know, in order yeah. for it to... To, to be a successful system. And this is, it, like, once we kind of are aware of that and we are aware of every th- single tiny little mechanism that has ever been put in place in our lives that we've ever, we've ever responded to as women that works hard to separate us from other women, I think that that's, like, the first step or one of the major steps in resisting the impact of... or resisting the invitation that patriarchy offers us to... become a part of the illusion that's right and I also think that um the other thing that we're encouraged as women by the patriarchy to do is constant comparison and if with the the I'm the cool girl I'm the one that drinks beer I'm the one that wears overalls is a comparison it's a it's a I'm different to this other person I'm better than this other person and I think as well I've gotten older and I think probably for a long time I've just decided I don't want to compare. I'm not interested in comparing myself to someone else in a good or bad way. I want to see 
other people for exactly who they are and lift them up when they're doing great. And, and that's just, I think, really hard for some women to kind of get on board with that the we don't have to compare you don't have to be constantly comparing yourself to somebody else Mm. yeah and that's another thing that patriarchy does to us is it is it tries to in in terms of forcing us into that separation from each other it tries to tell us that if we that we can build something of ourselves by wrecking another woman you know so that's right if we, if we tear her down, we can take her position. And it doesn't work like that because all you end up with just is a lot of wreckage, you know. You have to build something yeah. out of yourself in order to become the person that you want to be. You can't can't just take scraps off of someone else. Um, no. Yeah, I feel like that that is a lesson that I took – it took me a long time to learn that because, you know, we all grew up in the kind of the gas and the, the water system of patriarchy and – it's comparison. Yeah, the way that you say, like, it makes us compare ourselves to other women. And it makes me think, actually, of the John Hughes movie, Some Kind of Wonderful. I don't know if you've seen that, but you strike me I as haven't. a... I haven't. Oh, you haven't? you got to watch it. No. Maybe right, I'll do okay. a deep dive on it. Um, yes, let But it's it's Mary, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson plays, you know, the tomboy best friend of the love interest, uh, you know, and she's kind of like a mechanic and she's always covered in grease. She doesn't wear makeup. She's very cool. And she's, of course, like secretly in love with him. And he's like completely secretly in love with Leah Thompson, who's the pretty and pink girl, you know, the popular cheerleader type, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that I do actually really like about that movie is that, and, you know, John Hughes is not traditionally excellent at representing women on screen. But there isn't really – there is a little bit of competition between the women in terms of, like, who is the best kind of woman. But she's not positioned – the Leah Thompson character is not positioned as being a bitch and therefore, you know, to succeed over her is, is like, to win for win something against, you know, those bitchy, horrible women. You know, she's, she's yeah. actually just kind of like a normal, popular girl who at the end is quite – sort of willing to say, look, I think you should go to this best friend of yours because maybe you're in love with her. So that was – I feel That's like that, that was a good memory that I had amongst a sea of other pop cultural moments in which we were taught to hate other women who had things that we wanted. What about that, what about that Avril Lavigne song? Yeah. Um, am I making that up? You know, what is it? She, I wear shorts. And oh, no, that's Taylor Swift. I, oh, is it Taylor Swift? I feel like there's an Avril Lavigne song as well. But, yeah, there's a couple of Oh, the of Skater Boy. Yeah, that, that whole kind of like, boy. I'm not like you other know? girls. Why don't you like me? I'm better than her. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's silly. Let's let's put it to bed. Let's. I've had enough of that. Let's exactly. Get, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Yeah. Women, women listening. The best, the best weapon that you have against the patriarchy is other women. One hundred percent. Yes. And yes. it is not. It's not easy for all women to make friends with other women. I get that. You know, oftentimes mm. women write to me and they say, "You talk about having a good girl gang, and I want one, but I find it very difficult to find one, and I find it. You know, I've had." problems with other women in the past and I understand that too that's because we're all on our process of navigating patriarchy and unlearning it but we all have to we all have to stop comparing yeah Uh, that will help I think if you're looking for a girl gang you've just got to see the great things about all of the women in your girl gang and then they'll see the great things about you and if you're not comparing I mean I just think about ginger and tonic like the girls that I'm friends with and also I, I toured a musical for a year with three other women and just automatically you get put in a girl gang in that way. And in Ginger and Tonic, we just constantly tell each other how good we are. Like that's, we literally just, oh, you look, you look so good, babe. You look so good. Like always telling each other we're great. You know, we're just like, we are legends. We just bring each other up all the time. You know, if one of us has an audition for something or whatever, it's just, it's just so much better to just, bring each other up Mm -hmm. than it is to compare or think that you're worse because someone else is doing something good. Yeah, and like Roxanne Gay says, it's okay to have feelings of negativity when someone else succeeds or gets something that you want, particularly when they're your friend. Like it's normal to have those feelings, but you have to go away and manage those feelings privately. Absolutely, yes. wrestle with them privately, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, on that note... And by the way, I, I must say that I'm I'm very glad that you're a new member of you know we can be in each other's girl gang, each other's hype squads. Oh, um, on that note, shall we get to the questions? Let's do it. 
Please note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Beck are doctors, counsellors or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and who absolutely gag for a good hemline and a good harmony. Regrets, I've had a few, asks. I'm a 32-year-old quietly bi cis woman. I've only come to feminism in the last couple of years and only during this year has it started to directly inform my views and opinions. This has been a massive wake-up call for me for the better and it's improved my life dramatically. However, I'm now looking back on my past through the lens of feminism and my regrets have suddenly become so much more profound. I'm finding myself getting stuck in feelings of desolation upon reflecting the way my 20s panned out. My main grief is how I allowed myself to be treated by men. I wasn't abused in any specific traumatic event, but my entire dating life prior to turning 30 was itself traumatic. I wasn't once in a relationship. Instead, I was begging for crumbs from men who would give me snippets of their attention, demanding nudes with a promise of something more, the occasional hookup, and then the entire thing would disappear along with my self-esteem. I thought this was how things were. In reality, I was just being manipulated to serve as a time filler, sometimes for weeks or months. These men didn't care about me or my self-esteem, my hopes or dreams, or really me as a person. I don't allow these types of men into my life anymore. The people I choose to have relationships with now are honest, considerate and genuine. But I can't shake the regret of how I allowed myself to be treated. I've read your books, Clem, and follow many inspirational people online. As much as I love my new empowerment, I can't help but get upset when I think, where were these books when I was younger? And why didn't someone sit me down and explain what healthy relationships look like? Feminism has brought, a ca- has brought a clarity and realisation to my regrets that were honestly easier to ignore before. I guess my question is, how do I let go of my regrets and how do I reflect on my younger self in a kinder way? Oh, oh, my goodness. I What a good question to come out of the chat about mm. a girl gang. Because, I mean, firstly, welcome, little sister. Join our girl gang. Welcome. You're here now and and I'm so glad that you're embracing your feminist ideas and also embracing the fact that you're worth more than what you were settling for and that you don't don't have to take crumbs from rubbish people. Um, I think one of the, the, the biggest thing I would say about how to deal with your regrets, I suppose, from your 20s is just give yourself the biggest dose of self-compassion give yourself such a load of love about that because I'm whilst I am sorry that you've had this horrible dating life in your 20s I do not think that it is unusual Mm -mm. and I think that a lot of women have a similar backstory a similar history with dating and so just give yourself some compassion on that and the other thing the other thing that I would say is make friends with young women because what you're asking for there is when I was young, where were these books? Where were these people helping me? And I know from my own experience that, you know, some of my absolute best friends in the world are women that are six, seven, 10 years older than me. And they have been invaluable in my life and continue to be so. And as I have also made friends with women younger than me. And I think it's great to have like such a range of ages in your girlfriends and your girl gang because you're going to be helpful to them. You're going to be so helpful to those younger women and it will probably make you feel a bit better about the lessons you've learned because you'll know that you're passing them on to other people. And, yeah, but just give yourself some love there. That's such good advice because, I mean, I when I read this, I it stung because I could have written it myself. That was 100% my experience. I mean, with the exception of a couple of very beautiful relationships that I had with uh, men and women in my 20s, which, you know, taught me wonderful things about what I deserved and what I wanted. I had exactly that experience with crumbs being thrown my way. And, you know, because I had such crushingly low self-esteem anyway, and I always felt, you know, this little sister has said she re- she's read my book so she'll know from reading my book that I grew up feeling very isolated from the uh, from what it was I was taught girls and women were supposed to be. I always felt too like clunky, too 
big, too unwieldy, too freckled, too gap tooth, too everything. Everything we're all, we're all taught to hate ourselves and to feel like yeah. we're not enough and that we're not pretty enough. We're not interesting enough. We're not small enough, you know. And one of the things that I say in my book is that I was always so self-conscious about how tall I was and how big I was because I wanted to be like one of those tiny, petite little girls that could be swept up in the air by a guy and, you know, <laughs> squeal in mock indignation to be put down. And, yeah. you know, I – so I went through my 20s feeling like, well, I don't deserve love and I don't – what I get from these men who keep me a secret is at least I get something from them, you know, and, and who am I to expect that they would ever want to be seen publicly with me? You know, I remember one of my most heartbreaking moments and memories was this guy who I was having a secret affair – not affair, I mean a secret dalliance with – when I was 24, he was a little bit younger than me. He ha- actually had very little experience before we started sleeping together, but I think felt emboldened somehow by, you know, he could like get a little bit of experience from me and then leapfrog into this category of men that we were surrounded by at university who he wanted to be respected by. Um, and I remember he came over to my house one night. We used to we used to go out late at night and drink wine at a coffee shop and I would sit there and listen to him talk about how I was just like I just don't know if I'll ever really make it as a film director and I'd say no you're really talented (laughs) I know terrible um I think I've talked about him on the show before actually I've definitely read out a diary excerpt about him from the time um I love an old diary I know I know so heartbreaking So then I remember he came over this one night in particular and, you know, we slept together and the next morning we woke up and, you know, we fooled around again. And then it was a friend, a mutual friend of ours birthday party that night and I was coming late from work and I just had this feeling in the pit of my stomach. You know, that feeling you get when you're like, oh, I'm going to walk in and he's going to be with another girl. We we all have that weird instinct. Mm -hmm. And I did. I walked in and he was sitting there next to a girl we went to uni with who is wonderful and brilliant and um, amazing and look, honestly... I'm not surprised anyone falls in love with her. Um, and she's great. And she also didn't know anything that was happening between us. And and then he started kissing her and I was like, oh, right, cool. She's the kind of girl that you kiss in front of your friends and I'm the kind of girl who secretly sucks your dick in the morning. And I remember just yeah. feeling like it was like being like kicked in the stomach, you know. And I, I feel like that happened and – even though I'm past it now, I really relate to what this little sister's saying because even though I'm past it now, yeah. I'm so angry, so angry yeah. that it's not just that I didn't have anyone telling me that I, I was better than that, but that we live in a fucking world where girls are growing up and feeling like that's all they deserve. That yeah. firstly, that our self-esteem and our self-worth is so intrinsically tied to these fuck boys who don't deserve us and who aren't interesting and who like suck us dry in order to like literally we're there like flating their own egos. And yeah. what are we left with? Yeah, I mean, I think that that in – in essence, that whole story that you just said should give this little sister, you know, such such a great deal of perspective because so many women have these same stories and these same experiences. And it's yeah, it's it's not good. Like it's really, it's really not good. And and I think for this little sister, she should take strength in knowing that she's not alone mm. in this. She's not alone in having this story from her 20s or this like story from the last 10 years of her life or whatever it is because yeah we've all got them. I actually feel like what she's saying is being changed somewhat by not only are there more books and you know uh, content for for young women to consume now but the evolution of social media and the internet and women's presence online has really radically changed that dialogue you know that women can see other women clapping back at disrespect and and having that like showcasing that solidarity amongst other women and you know Instagram accounts like Beam Me Up Soft Boy and Tinder Translators yeah. and you know all of these accounts that kind of like invite women to laugh at the mockery of that men oh make God. of them and the backlash this week against Kieran and Tim on Bachelor yes. in Paradise has just been oh my, it's just been so heartening I'm I'm like loving it I'm loving seeing everyone be just really call them out for being really, really pathetic people. I think that's one of the most powerful things that would have helped us when we were younger and obviously would have helped this little sister, but that at least we can be grateful that it is happening now, is 
seeing other women call out douchebags not only like is a healing process for yourself and every experience you've had with one of them, but it also kind of makes you go for, for those people who are like, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I was allowed to do that or that they were afraid yeah. that if they did it, that somehow they were going to be pathologized as hysterical because women always are, that actually now they can, they can really lean into calling it out. And obviously it creates a backlash because men hate being called out. But oh, they do. I mean, I feel like with, so regrets, I've had a few when you listen to this, there is no easy way. You can't take away the pain that you went through in your 20s. You can't take away the humiliations that were forced on you just in these really microaggressive ways. But what you can do, as Beck said, is you can become a good big sister to other young women and to let them know that they don't deserve that. I mean, a lot of them probably are on that journey now anyway because of the content that we have on offer. But also remind yourself that you are who you are today and you have the strength that you have today because you you knew on some level that something about this was wrong and that something about this was bad for you and that was not respecting you and was treating you poorly because you sought out the information to change your life and you are you know you've become a completely different person who would never let anyone treat you like this ever again and that's a really fucking admirable thing like that's amazing yeah congrats to you congratulations you should celebrate that in yourself and and it sounds like you're well on the way to becoming the kind of woman who not only would never let anyone treat you like that, that again, but as these fuckboys who did that to you in their 20s age and become, you know, shadows of their former selves, you are like a phoenix rising from the ashes and becoming this glorious warrior queen that they will look at and think, how did – like they'll 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 be the ones with the regrets and let them fucking choke on them yeah and that's good advice to everyone who has gone through this you know don't don't do not suffer a fuck boy to live and don't let them make you feel bad about yourself because you are so much better than them Toxic friend says, I have a best friend that is very sure of herself and knows her sexuality and her style. I really want to find what style I like, so I wear different types of clothes a lot. I really like all of the styles that I've tried so far, but every time I wear them in front of my best friend, she makes fun of me. She tells me I look basic, weird, ugly, disgusting, and fucking gross. She also commonly makes fun of me for not knowing if I'm bisexual or not. I've now just gone back into my oversized hoodies and trackies to hide my body. I'm not a confrontational person and I don't know what to do. All I want to do is find out who I am as an individual. Also a very relevant question in the context of yeah. the conversation that we had. How do we hey. accidentally theme this um, podcast? I don't know. It always seems to work out that way, which is great. I feel yeah. like I feel like this little sister, um, and I've, I've given her the name toxic friend, but I'm obviously referring to her toxic friend. I feel like maybe she is quite, early on in her path to womanhood like maybe a teenager or an adolescent because she's trying to figure out who who she is yeah um I mean I think the thing that's really clear from that letter and I hope that little sister hearing it back can see and can hear that this person is not a best friend Mm -mm. this person is so 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 far away from a best friend um also I would say that Somebody who is sure of themselves does not present to their friends in that way. And, um, yeah, she's not being good to you at all. Um, one, one thing that I have done in the past as well with these sort of toxic friends, um, it's actually a metaphor that my ex-boyfriend came up with, which is you just put them in a little boat and you push them out to sea. And if they paddle really hard to get back to you and they want to make it work, they will. And if they don't, see you later. Mm, Bye. I love that. Go into the ocean. And you don't have to deal with that anymore. And I think that the biggest thing from this letter is your you need to understand that this person is not a friend to you Mm-mm. and you need to put them in the boat and push them out to sea. This person is someone who is very insecure in themselves. They have 
you know, equally low levels of self-esteem, I'm sure. And unfortunately, what they're doing is what a lot of girls are conditioned to do by patriarchy and also sometimes just by being fucking... Oh, <laughs> my phone. Also just... I love your reason. <laughs> I know. That's the danger zone. I'm going to leave that in there. I normally would have edited that out, but I'm going to leave that in there just so everyone knows that my ringtone is the danger zone. Um, so good. <laughs> yeah, so this this girl is using her own she's using you it's that thing of like building and wrecking she's trying to wreck you in order to build something out of herself in order to build her self-esteem she needs to wreck you and destroy yours so that she feels better than you and that is toxic it's not she's not your friend she is going through obviously her own issues or maybe she's just a fucking asshole who knows and also Um, she can see that you're you're trying something new you're experimenting you're playing like we were talking about before you're having you're having a go at playing and trying to find some new parts of yourself. And that might be very uncomfortable for her, especially if you've been friends for a while. Um, She might find that really challenging to see you grow as a person and not sit in the same place that she is. And potentially become competition for her because she's clearly still in this, in the, she's clearly still on the, on the point of her own journey where women present competition and, and I think that you're p- perfectly right there, Beck. that she's very threatened, obviously, by the idea that this little sister could be figuring out who she is and could be becoming a more confident person and, in doing so, much more able to stand up against her toxic bullying. That's right. Because that's what this yeah. is, it's and bullying. Look, and, look, we can have, you know, definitely I've had moments with my friends where I've been like, what do you think of this? And they've said, oh, babe, is that our, our best vibe today? Are we, <laughs> do we maybe have something else we could try and that's different like that's Mm. lovely it's nice to have friends that will tell you if maybe something's not really working for you but this is not that this is this is somebody that's really trying to bring you down and in a at a time that you're trying to really learn about yourself and I think that that's not on in the bin with that friend I would really recommend not allowing her as hard as it is because it's definitely very hard when you it's hard for me and I'm 39 years old to deal with people being mean to me. I don't like it. I don't like when people are no. mean to me. But if you're someone who's who's young and, you know, you, you haven't yet developed that thick callus of disappointment in other human beings yeah. but you're trying to figure out who you are, it's really, really hard to, you know, to have the confidence to speak back against that. And you also say that you're not a confrontational person um, and you don't know how to deal with it. And I get that. You know, it's really, really hard to speak back to someone who has displayed such toxic behaviours that you worry that by saying something you're escalating it. I think I like the advice that you give, Beck, about pushing someone out to sea. But yeah. the thing is lockdown, I suppose, provides a really good opportunity for people to take that time out from their toxic friendships. Yes, yeah. And I think um, as well you can use you can use social media to help you out here as well little sister I mean there are so many good body positivity body positivity uh accounts and people that you can follow who are really into style and are so hot and and fashionable and and into into play playing with their looks as well and you can follow them and message them and and try and like find some people that are in the same corner as you and, and trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do. There's lots, there's lots of people there who, who give you heaps of support in that. <laughs> this is one of the things that I've been really enjoying about our Luke down is, you know, not just the challenge of dressing up and doing something different each time. And, you know, as it goes on becoming more and more daring about how we kind of stretch or test the, the theme and the prompt that we come up with. Um, but, I think it's actually really cool to take photos of yourself and look at it and go, I really like the way that I look in that. And there is a weird fine line to walk between, you know, becoming too obsessed with how you look. And I'm, I probably do like teeter on that line sometimes because, you know, it's for me, part of my own kind of process with this is in developing the confidence that I have done, particularly in the last year, I, I'm, I'm operating in a space where I, I really like myself for the first time in a, in a long time, maybe ever. 
and I'm not used to what that feels like. So yeah. I've, I do kind of take on board that for some people it might be a little bit much, but it's coming from a place of like, wow, this is what radical self-love and acceptance is like. Isn't is this what it, people feel like all the time? <laughs> How good is it when you realise that the loudest voice has been your own? Yeah. And the, the loudest voice telling you that you can't do something or you can't, enjoy how you look or is your own and that that moment or that that bit of work that you do that tells that voice to shut the fuck up I don't I don't want to listen to you anymore and you realize oh this is awesome how good is this I get to look at myself in the mirror and not hate what I see it's Mm. so nice and I feel like with this little sister she's probably got a bit of that going and then she has this extra crazy nasty person Mm. doing the same thing it's just being it's just, yeah. This is a really good rule of thumb for this little sister, but for anyone listening as well, that if someone does not add to your life, you need to yeah. remove them from your life. If someone yeah. does not make you feel good about yourself, and I don't mean by blowing smoke up your butt, but I mean if they work hard to make you feel bad about themselves so that they can feel better about themselves, then get rid of them. They are not your friend. You know, yeah. we like we've said all throughout this hour – Women have enough fucking shit to deal with living in a patriarchy and living with men who want to tear us down. Don't allow it to turn us against each other. Don't play into the stereotype and the trope that, oh, women are each other's own worst enemies. No, women, women's worst mm-hmm. enemies is patriarchy. And patriarchy yeah. weaponizes itself, uh, weaponizes us to use it as a weapon against other women. So... If that is in your life and it's detracting from your happiness and it's making you feel bad about yourself, then like cut that shit out of your life because you don't need it. And women have yeah. to be each other's. Your best friends should be your hype squad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Search out those people. Search out those people online. Search out those people in whatever activities that you do. You do not need this friend. She's not a friend. No, exactly. Get rid of her. Jordan Peterson is ruining my relationship, says, Hello! I fear that Jordan Peterson has permanently wriggled his way into my fiancé's head and our relationship is doomed. I've been with my fiancé for over six years, during which time he has generally been quite empathetic and progressive. Our values have always basically aligned. Over the last one to two years, he has gradually shifted his thinking to the extent that he is now a mouthpiece for Jordan Peterson – He denies the existence of a patriarchy, of white privilege, that Trump got to the position he is on something other than his own merit. He refers to feminists and Black Lives Matters protesters as complainers, the whole shebang. He is very defensive of Jordan Peterson, something I understand to be common among his following. He tells me that we don't have to agree on these things. I have told him that these are fundamental values that affect my humanity and that I won't be marrying him or having his babies if he continues to hold these views. I am a woman that has been let down by countless men over the course of my life, including having been one of the victims of a high-profile sexual assault and having gone through and now again going through the criminal justice process. I am both terrified and embarrassed that I even have to have these debates with him. But I have moved myself and a family member that I care to a regional area to be with him. Uh, Sorry. But I have moved myself and a family member that I care for to a regional area to be with him. I adore his family. I am unemployed, but thankfully financially independent. I own our house. Aside from being totally isolated and likely being stigmatised by small town folk, I know I will be fine if we break up. And I'm ashamed that I even feel the need to state or remind myself of this. I know that the answer is always dump them. It is their hope for re-educating him. Specifically, is there a way that I can break the toxic hold of Jordan Peterson? Sincerely, Jordan Peterson is ruining my relationship. Oh, my God. I both love and hate this question. I hate that she has to ask Um, it, but I love that we can talk about how fucking rank and toxic Jordan Peterson is and all of his fucking acolytes. Uh, I just think, I mean, that sounds so upsetting and it sounds so exhausting. I mean, look, I mean, we so many women live with men who – don't to do their share of domestic responsibilities out of laziness or apathy, but God damn, imagine living with one that didn't do their domestic responsibilities because they literally and genuinely thought it was your job. Just 
but also just like, like also someone who is expressing incredibly toxic views that are repulsive to listen to in general but that actively dehumanize you yeah no it's not and like the, the she says uh he says we can ha- agree to disagree on things you know what yeah my my partner andy thinks that bird watching is cool and i think that it's really lame and creepy that's a thing that you can disagree about, you know. You, yeah, you fine. can disagree about what you want to watch on TV or whether or not, you know, p- pineapple goes on pizza. It does, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> but you yeah, cannot look, disagree right, about the fundamentals. fundamental things. No. You can't disagree about the fundamentals of humanity, of dignity and respect. And, like, the fact that so – what this comes down to for me is not just with the civil sister's fiancé, but for all men that – want to have relationships with women in which those women basically exist to serve them, exist to kind of yeah. become facilitators of their life and their their identities and exist on the periphery of it, is that to espouse these views not only means that they, they fundamentally do not care about the humanity and dignity of those women that they claim to love, but they actually just aren't even interested in the, like, the very facts of our, our lives. That he can have watched her go through something so significant as this criminal justice uh, case and still turn around and say, well, you know, like feminism, it's just people complaining and women just lie and make it up. Like he's he's the toxic friend. Yes, yes, and and this is this is not somebody that she's this is not somebody that she's just met and she's like, Oh, I really like this person, but xyz this is somebody that she's been with for years and who's now, despite that whole relationship, making a choice to have this new system of beliefs that he wants to live his life by, that is not somebody that you're – that's not going to change back. Like that's – you can't fix that. No, and I'd be asking myself and him if he's – if he can be even bear having another boring conversation with him about it. What is it in himself that he was either hiding for years or that he feels now suddenly Jordan Peterson, the great rah-rah, like – the hype man of bloody Peter Pan, Never Never, uh, Neverland Boys, you know, the the guy that's suddenly like appeared to tell white men everywhere, no, actually, you're the man, you're the man, and these bitches are trying to take it away from you. What is it that he feels is being spoken to in him? What is it that he feels suddenly he can like proudly declare, actually, I am the fucking man, and all of these women are just complaining, and all of these people of colour are just complaining, and... You know, if you just work hard like me, then you'll succeed. And this guy tells me so, and this is making me feel better about myself, etc., etc. Et I mean, it's so. I, I refuse to be friends with anyone who thinks that Jordan Peterson is not only like has something interesting to say, but is actually an intelligent human being. Um, Jordan Peterson is someone I once heard describe him the best description ever. Jordan Peterson is the stupid person, smart person. But I wouldn't even be friends with those people, let alone fuck any of them. No. And God, it just sounds so exhausting. I just like, even what you were just saying there, I, I'm just imagining in my head, her sitting down with this person that she's been in a relationship with for six years and trying to have that conversation with him again and again and again. And I just, it makes me tired. It makes me want to go to sleep. Like, and I appreciate that what yeah. she's asking is like, she recognizes that it's toxic thinking. She has a host of different factors that uh, are preventing her from immediately ending the relationship. One of which, the leading one of which I suppose, is that she does have a history with him and somewhere inside she feels like that man that she fell in love with may still be there and she wants to know yeah. how, to, how to get back to him. So I understand that. It is more complicated than just saying, just fucking dump him. Yeah, it's but, not like the friend thing. Yeah. Like the, yeah. But what I, I, but what I, I will I say is that yeah. I think that, I think that what you're saying about the boat thing actually is relevant here too because so often women say how can I educate my partner how can I make him see this how can I rationally deal with this so that he understands where I'm coming from and this is just more fucking labor that women are expected to do to walk to hold men's hands as we walk them through the process of becoming a halfway decent human my advice is not to necessarily give up on the relationship but to make it very clear to him that you will not tolerate being in a relationship with a man who has these views and it is fundamentally antithetical to your life and to your values if he wants to be in a relationship with you make him do the work 
of re-educating himself. Push him out yeah. to sea in the boat and say if he yes, wants Clem. to find his way back to you, he needs to, to figure out how to unlearn a lot of those toxic values. I think that that is brilliant advice. And I, I would add to that that you cannot stick around for somebody's potential. I know it's the most heartbreaking thing in the world. And honestly, I've done it. I've been in a relationship far longer than I should have been thinking that things were going to change. And it just is, it, it's not going to like, it's the cold, hard truth. You can think that you might be able to make him feel differently or think differently or change. But number one, it's not your job to fix him. And number two, it's just going to be heartbreak for you to stay in something Mm. on, on the hope of somebody's potential or, Mm. Yeah. It's like Florence Given says, uh, and she was on the show a few weeks ago, so do listen to that episode, but it's like Florence says, he's not your son, so stop raising him. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel for you though, little sister, because you're, you know, it's, it's, it's a grief. It is a grief. The person that you fell in love with has at least for the time being disappeared completely. Um, But but also the, think about it this way, maybe you're actually just seeing who he is for the first time. That if he can respond yeah. to these, to this invitation being presented to him to value himself over the lives of marginalised people, then maybe, maybe that's who he really is. Yeah, and also exactly, and it is up to him because, I mean, you could be in a relationship with someone that has an alcohol problem or uh, has a drug addiction or, or whatever, and perhaps they go, I really want to change. I really want to do the work to change this. But you're with somebody that's saying, this is fine. This is how I am. This is my ethos. And he doesn't seem to want to change, so I don't know why. I, I mean, it just seems like... And in terms of what the small town folk think, fuck them, you know, small town folk always think things and nothing that they think should, should stop you from living the life that you need to live, you know, be the main event as Selma Alwadani says. And, and remember, this is something I always go back to. You've got fucking one life to live, babe. And don't waste that precious time. You know, it's like the beautiful little sister who asked the question about, dealing with regrets from her 20s you're in a perfect opportunity now to be writing the story that you'll be telling yourself 10 years from now and this is for everyone listening what is the story that you're writing in your life at this moment that you will be telling yourself 10 years from now are you telling a story are you telling the story in which you recognized your value and your self-worth and you you took steps to claim your value and your self-worth what is the story that you will be telling yourself in 10 years' time? And hopefully it is not one that involves looking past Jordan Peterson fandom. I say, no. I say make him do the work and if he refuses to, then that is very clearly your answer. been listening to the big sister hotline a weekly advice podcast that delivers no nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back your big sisters you can find us on apple podcasts spotify Podchaser, google podcast and everywhere else you look for great content and you can also listen to all the back episodes if you do like it then please would you consider rating and reviewing it because it's really nice to have the feedback first and foremost but also it helps to put the podcast into the line of sight of other little sisters and my one goal in life right now is to create a giant army of little sisters who are prepared to tear down the fucking patriarchy if you enjoy the hotline you can support the ongoing making of it at my patreon which is www.patreon.com forward slash clementine ford where pledges of more than ten dollars per month receive access to a bonus monthly episode of the hotline only available for download to subscribers and i will say that this month's bonus episode is going to be with teddy Dunn, who is a former big sister. Teddy is a trans man who will be joining me to have a special one hour discussion about masculinity and feminism and unlearning a lot of 
the tropes of toxic masculinity. So if you're a patron subscriber, then you get to listen to that. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous. We're Big Sisters and we've got your back. We talked a lot this episode about sharing information with your girlfriends and passing on your wisdom. So I want to remind you again of the pelvic floor health benefits of Perifit. Easy to use and actually fun. Who thought Kegels could be fun? It'll have you jumping for joy on a trampoline in no time. Find it at perifit.co. My guest this week has been the wonderful Rebecca Moore, musical theatre kid, uh, look down queen, friend, member of my girl gang, Beck. What are you working on at the moment? What am I working on? Well, I started working on a tea party business at the end of last year, and as COVID hit, it has taken a pretty big hit in its growth Um, but I'm sort of starting to put a few more things together for that hopefully when we get out of lockdown what's it called it's called the repartee oh great name um, yeah cute so it's just a we travel to you tea party with a girlfriend of mine who's incredibly knowledgeable about tea and um yeah it's very in its infancy we've only just started it but we got a bit way late so if people want to follow you do you have an instagram account for it they can of course follow you on at miss beckett that's m-s-b-e-c-k-i-t on instagram yes so if you go to my instagram miss beckett that has links to the repartee website also has links to ginger and tonics instagram so you can go see some great gals doing acapella treats uh yeah and the repartee is on instagram as well i've just loved having you on today i think we've had a really fun great conversation it's really nice you know sometimes sometimes the the topics that we talk about on the hotline are quite you know they're heavy topics and they're important and I really relish being able to have those conversations and appreciate the women who come on to have them but I think it's it's great that we can balance them out with these reminders of the things that are fun about you know life and play and imagination and you know I'm really glad that we were able to have that conversation today and I look forward to seeing your looks for the rest of the lockdown period. The look Me down. too. <laughs> Thanks Clem. I'll be posting my next look in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.